Hey everyone, it's James and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. As of right now, 2,880 plus amazing followers at Bank Better Guy on Twitter. Dozens more at Patreon.com slash Notorious Banker, where for as little as a $1 subscription, you can help the Notorious Banker fight back against big banks. Guys, once again, thank you so very much for the support. I really do appreciate it. And I do appreciate it today because Vigilante customer service worked once again. Now, here's the amazing thing about it. Bank of America a month ago told everyone, told everyone on a post on social media, and they even created a website, to not trust people who tell you not to trust Bank of America. Guess who they were talking about? They were talking about James, the notorious banker. Well, with my vigilante customer service, yours truly helped a customer in California who was having problems with the Bank of America EDD card. For those of you who don't know, EDD is an unemployment card that is brought to you by Bank of America um, on behalf of the state of California. Get her money back, get a conversation with someone, and uh, make things right. This girl was out on the street. She was on the street. She did not have a place to live. Her money was gone. Bank of America gave her her money when there was a fraud claim saying that everything was fixed. And then a few weeks later, it was gone. She had no money to live whatsoever. And she was frustrated. She had no place to stay. She tweeted about it. I found her. Within an hour, she got a call back. And someone is working on it as we speak here. What went on for weeks took me two hours. What went on for weeks is going to get resolved in a couple of days. And Vigilante Customer Service has a lot to do with it. So guys, the people who donate a dollar, donate two, five, fifteen, thirty, anything, thank you so very much for that. Your contributions do help because allowing me to do this full-time helps someone like that. Someone who may not have a roof over their head and someone who may not be helped by Bank of America because they frankly don't give a shit. So whenever Bank of America says don't trust people who tell you not to trust Bank of America, don't trust them again. Vigilante customer service works and once again, thank you for that. It's an amazing week, um, an amazing week of stories as we head on to election season uh, the fall is here, of course, although you wouldn't fucking feel it living in New Mexico. Um, no Halloween coming up and the election coming up. There's a lot going on, and I'm sure the banking world is going to be no different. Um, if you hear a whirring in the background, it is my fan. It is October 19th as I record this podcast. It is 81 degrees outside at 10 o'clock at night, 90 degrees the high today. It's going to be 90 degrees the next two days here in New Mexico. Guys, I, I hate it. I hate summer. I hate um, early fall in New Mexico. I, I'm starting to not like New Mexico as much. I'm a West Coast guy. I'm a Western part of the United States guy. I've lived in the desert my whole life. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten crankier and it's hot. And I don't want to turn my air on. My wife and I work from home. So now the air is on a little bit more, which means the electric bill is on a little bit more. I want to live in the mountains. I want to open the windows and not have cars driving by. I don't want to be two miles away from the interstate. Do you know what I mean? So if you hear any whirring from cars driving by or you hear a whirring from my little um, table fan that I stole from Bank of America when we closed our branch, um, I don't apologize for that because it is really hot in here at night. And I don't want to be sweaty doing a podcast anymore like I usually am five, six months out of the year. Um, even though I do them late at night, sometimes it gets really hot in this little guest room that we have. And just the hot desert air is just just miserable. What can I say? Um, a lot of things going on in Notorious Banker World. I set up a link tree so you can see all of my links a little bit easier on Twitter at Bank Better Guy. I will post it on my profile. 
Um, of course, we got the audio podcast on there. My TikTok and Notorious Banker is on there as well. James and NotoriousBanker.com is my email address. But the one thing I wanted to mention is my YouTube channel. Now, I've been on my YouTube channel, you know, a few times in the last few months. Posted a couple of items, especially when CEO Sharf of Wells Fargo um, did what he did with his comments last month. Allowed me to get thousands of views and thousands of people looking at my YouTube channel. And I'm really grateful and thankful for that. Um, I decided to launch a video version of this podcast um, effective this week. So episode one of the video podcast is available now on YouTube. Link is in the show notes. Link is on my link tree as well. Um, It's not going to be a verbatim word for word podcast of what I'm doing here. It's actually going to be a little bit different. Um, I do have the creativity to create two sources of content like this. So what I'm going to be doing in the video podcast is I'm going to do two to three narrative commentaries, very similar to what I do in this podcast. But I'm going to do it a little bit more short, and I'm going to have visuals. I am using the power of Zoom, my friend, to share my screen and to point out websites, to point out things that I find online that prove my point that big banks suck. And I'm really, really excited about it. The first one came out freaking sexy as hell, and I want you to see it on my YouTube channel. Uh, We talked about three things on there. We talked about Chase's $30 billion quote commitment to advance racial equity, which, of course, I have a lot of issues with. Uh, I'm not. I, I'm all for giving money to the people who need it, the less fortunate. I am not for Chase calling a $30 billion donation to end racism with $14 billion of it going to rich people to build apartment complexes to keep people of color in apartments, for God's sakes. I'm not for that. I'm not down with that. Also did two other commentaries about Bank of America um, one of them was Bank of America's profits. $4.9 billion was um, announced as of uh, Wednesday, I believe it was, whenever they announced their earnings. And, you know, what can I say? You know, I predicted it. I was well within the target there. And all I can say is, you know it's going to continue to go up. They're figuring shit out. They know how to make money during the pandemic and with millions of jobs lost. They are not hurting for money. Do not call them a struggling company. Um, the whole narrative was the fact that a lot of news organizations said that profits fell. Well, no shit profits fell because a lot of us have masks on our face and 200,000 plus people are dead. So that's why profits fell. But they still made $5 billion, so don't cry for them, Argentina. And then the final um, narrative commentary that I have in the video podcast is something funny. Bank of America is committing $10,000 to the Boys and Girls Club of America for a charity um, for... Any time that a Major League Baseball team comes back from two runs down or more in the seventh inning or later. It was so specific, so many caveats, so many uh, precursors to actually fulfilling a $10,000 donation. It seemed like not a lot of times would that happen in a Major League Baseball season, much less the truncated one that we've had here in 2020. Well, I pointed out how stupid it is and how it's turning people who need this money, who have their hand out for charity, turning them into degenerate sports gamblers, praying for a miracle comeback, praying for this chaos that's going to happen at the end of the game, when in reality, Bank of America could just give them the fucking money. It's just ridiculous as hell. And I point out a game that happened between the LA Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves um, last week that was ridiculous. And within 15 minutes of that game happening... Um, there was no $10,000 that was going to be donated to Boys and Girls Club. It was ridiculous. Um, it's it's funny, but it's not. And I talk about just charity as a whole, as I talk about all the time in this podcast. 
So please take a look at that. And uh, the one thing for a little bit of comic relief and a little bit of lessons learned that I'm including in the video podcast is we're going to be looking at Yelp and Google reviews for just random bank branches across America, whether it's Chase Bank of America, Wells Fargo, or City. And we're going to break down a couple of things. We're going to break down why the reviews are so crappy, and then we're going to pick out a specific review, and we're going to point out what's crazy about the review and what the banker could have done better to avoid that one-star review. I think it's really important for people to understand the way that banks see things to understand why you need to give them worse reviews. I know you can't give a zero-star review, but a lot of the times they'll see a three-star review and they'll say, well, they were slow and they were rude and this No, give them a one. They deserve a one. But I'm going to break down why people are giving ones to bank branches, and it's kind of fun. I did Jacksonville, Florida, and my home state of Albuquerque, New Mexico, in the first video podcast, so check that out on YouTube couple things with today's podcast. I'm not going to make it really long, although I've talked for 10 minutes here in the opening. I'm just going to talk about the news that Wells Fargo fired upwards of 125 associates for scamming the system during the PPP and EID, um, EIDL loan stuff going on with small businesses during the pandemic. Uh, Wells Fargo had employees that were taking that money for themselves. They were putting in requests for themselves. And I just think it's the height of hypocrisy. And I'm going to tell you why with the PPP stuff that happened this summer and all the frustration that I saw from people, all the things that I saw, all the people crying, all the people needing to close their businesses, the PPP coaching I did that made me a good chunk of money this summer, which allowed me to continue to function as a notorious banker. It really hits close to home. So after this brief promotional consideration, I'm going to talk about that. And then in the second segment, I'm just going to have something lighthearted, although it wasn't lighthearted 10 years ago. Um, someone in a conversation that I had on Twitter brought up, um, had I ever been fired or written up for something stupid before? And the question, and the answer was, absolutely, I have been. I'm going to tell the story, and I've told it before in a previous podcast that I've since deleted, about the time that I got written up and told off and nearly threatened with termination for hitting the F11 button at work. How ridiculous is that? So after this brief promotion consideration, we'll be um, getting started with more podcasts, so please stick around. All right, my friends, and we're back with more Notorious Banker. So, you know, Wells Fargo is the biggest punching bag in the history of banks. You know, I've heard people joke on Twitter, you know, Wells Fargo is the Wells Fargo of banks. Wells Fargo is the fire fest of banks. And I couldn't agree more. Now, once again, for, you know, all the people joining into the podcast for the first time, um, if you caught my podcast just because I've talked to you on Twitter the last few days, how are you doing? My name is James. I'm the notorious banker, and I hate big banks. I worked at Bank of America for 13 years. I was a teller, seller, manager, so forth. I didn't work at Wells Fargo, so that's the first precursor there, although I've trained three people at Bank of America who eventually became something at Wells Fargo. Plus, I'm a 20-year customer of Wells Fargo, um, ending that relationship early last year. But, of course, I do pay attention to schedules and fees and news and everything. And then, of course, with the unauthorized account scandal of 2016, um, it's something that everyone is, is clinging to, you know, like a koala on a tree. They're, they're always thinking about the unauthorized account scandal. And for the millionth time, this is my warning. Do not call it the fake account scandal because there was nothing fake about those accounts. Those are real accounts that had real consequences, real fees, real check system notices that happened to customers and real credit scores being impacted. So it is not a fake account scandal. It's an unauthorized account scandal. 
But, you know, whenever you're a bad boy, <laughs> I know, what a weird segue, right? Whenever you have a bad reputation, and I'm just, I, I think of that, I immediately think of Mike Tyson. Yes, Mike Tyson, convicted felon, went to prison for three years, um, came from the streets of Brownsville, Brooklyn, tore shit up at 18, 19 years old as a professional prize fighter, knocking people out in the first and second rounds of so many fights, winning his first, what, 41, 42 fights in a row before he himself got knocked out just always has this bad boy image around him you know in the early 80s when i was a little kid he was buying you know porsches and lamborghinis marrying robin Givens, buying pet tigers for his mansion wrecking his lamborghini because he was drunk or high and then of course the arrest happened and of course biting a vander holyfield's ear off having that bad boy reputation always follows you even if you don't want it and I, you know how I know this? Yours truly, the Notorious Banker, runs into that all the time. Now, here's the thing, guys. I, I you know, come across as this, you know, holier than thou. I want to fight for you and big banks, um, taking advantage of the little guy. And I know what it's like to be on the other side. So I want to help you as much as I can. Am I a flawed person? Absolutely. I was a slacker in high school. I was a slacker in college. I, I will tell you that there's times where I paid people to do my math tests in college. I'm not a dishonest person. I am honest telling you these things. But I got to tell you, you know, that reputation of just having all these shady things around you just sticks with you your whole life. I grew up in poverty. I grew up around gangs. And the friends that I had in middle school that weren't in gangs that ended up being in gangs in high school were my friends then. So I found myself at parties. I found myself with people with guns and, you know, dealing drugs and stuff like that. I wasn't doing it. I just wanted to be the friends of the people who were doing all that shit. And it sucked. It was really hard. And you can't shake that reputation because when you grow up in the town that I'm from, you're immediately dealt a losing hand. And you have to make something of yourself by working your ass off. So working at a bank wasn't my saving grace. You know, working at a bank was just a, a job at that point, just to make money for college and to make money so I could get drunk on Fridays and meet girls. And then I decided to take it seriously. And then I became a supervisor. Then I became a banker. Then I became a manager. And it was really, really cool. It was really cool to have that because... The way that I saw it, and like I said, I never slang drugs, I never committed any crimes aside from stealing nail clippers at Walmart for God's sakes. You know, I never did anything wrong, but the fact of the matter is I saw things through the perspective of bad boys when I worked at the bank. And I was like, man, what a scam this is. All I gotta do is fake smile, call people by names three times, offer them things that they wanted anyway, and I get promotions and I become management. And I make a lot of money. Hell yeah, that's amazing shit. I love that. And I saw working in banking as a scam because I knew that there was fucking fake people in banking that didn't give a shit as much as I did. So knowing that I didn't really have to care in order to move my way up in the world was actually kind of peaceful for me. Because I was like, man, considering I'm a good guy and I do care, I should be able to get higher, right? Wrong. That's not the way that it works. And with Wells Fargo... Their bad boy image just always just precedes them, okay? The, the unauthorized account scandal being one thing. And then earlier this year with um, the beginning PPP loans, them complaining that the, the fate that they met because of the unauthorized account scandal meant that they couldn't help people with PPP loans, which was ridiculous. Firing of 5,000 people who were likely not part of, um, you know, the whole unauthorized account scandal's 
origination. CEO Sharp's comments about black people and the talent pool at Wells Fargo, which led to just one of the craziest days I've ever had on Twitter last month. These are things that happen all the time, and you and you can pretty much say anything bad about Wells Fargo, and you can make shit up. You can think Wells Fargo eats puppies, and you'll probably believe it. And there'll be ten thousand retweets from you know Ben Eisen of the Wall Street Journal, for God's sakes. And I have a Ben Eisen report here from Market Watch that I'm going to read to you about Wells Fargo's latest folly. Now, when I read this, and you know it's funny, I didn't even look at Wells Fargo tweets that afternoon. And it wasn't until a few hours later that I started to see people just piss all over. I'm like, damn, I missed out on something. I was busy doing other things. What can I say? And um, seeing that, I was like, wow, again, again. So let me just read the headline here. Wells Fargo fires more than 100 workers over alleged pandemic relief fraud. And then it says up to 125 employees may have fraudulently applied for loans. And this is from MarketWatch.com. Ben Eisen on the byline here. It says, Wells Fargo and company fired more than 100 employees for allegedly defrauding a federal pandemic relief program. A bank internal investigation found that as many as 125 employees made false representations in applying for a type, a small business relief program called an economic injury disaster loan, a person familiar with the matter said. I always want to know who the person familiar with the matter was. I want to I want to hook up with that person. That way they can leak shit to me. The bank's head of human resources, David Gallery, said, <clears throat> here comes the bank voice, we have terminated the employment of those individuals and will cooperate fully with law enforcement. These actions were personal actions and do not involve our customers. Okay, they don't involve your customers, but it does, okay? And it involves Wells Fargo. So here's the thing, David Galleries, whoever the hell you are, you head of human resources, well, I hope you never hire me because I'm going to tell you what an idiot you are because of that. You terminated the employment, I'm glad you did. I Get those criminals out of there. Get, get people who scam out of there. But when it says these wrongful actions were personal actions and do not involve our customers, that's bullshit. Okay, and I'm going to tell you why. And I'm not going to get into the long and short of EIDL and PPP and all that stuff yet. But I'll tell you one thing. When you say that they're personal actions and they, they don't involve our customers, okay, let me see something here. So being an alcoholic would be a personal action, right? Like you're drinking, you're causing harm to yourself. Personal action, right? So what if that alcoholic beats his wife? What if that alcoholic beats his kids? What if that alcoholic gets in his car and wrecks into someone? That involves that involves someone else. It's a personal action, but he involves someone else. The personal actions of those bankers who did this, or allegedly did this, I guess I should say, those personal actions involved your customers. Why? Because I can tell you, there's not enough fucking hands in this room, in this house, in the house next door to me, that I can tell you all the conversations I had from Wells Fargo customers who couldn't get a phone call, who couldn't get an email for their EIDL or PPP loans because these people were getting the loans for themselves. They were, they were doing things for themselves to get financial gain for themselves, and their customers couldn't even get an email saying, we're working on your documents. They involve your customers, David Gallery, so hell with you for that. That's ridiculous. What a comment that is. It involves your customers, and you know what? It involves your bank. You remember that cool commercial where you said Wells Fargo established 18 whatever the fuck and re-established 2018? Well, you're going to have to re-re-establish 2020 after stuff like this. You're going to have to get Riri as in the pop star Rihanna to be a spokesperson for your company because of the re-re-establishment of your bank.
unbelievable. The Small Business Administration program has been providing these loans directly to business owners who lost revenue during the pandemic. The SBA Inspector General said that it had been barraged with complaints about fraud, and I understand that. Here's the fact of the matter. I mentioned those no good nicks that I ran around back home in Socorro, New Mexico. Here's the not-so-pretty truth about PPP, unemployment, all the things that happened, the $600 a week stuff that I got, and I was able to rightfully get because I do have a service where I'm able for a fee to train companies, to train banks, to train individuals, how to be better salespeople, how to be ethical salespeople. I do have the capability of doing vigilante customer service where for a fee I can help people fight back against big banks. And what I mean by that is fighting back against big banks, it means doing errands for them, writing letters, you know, making sure that they're connecting to the right people, giving them guidance to make sure that their requests go through. All that stuff is there, and plus I have sponsors on this podcast, so I make money. A lot of that money dried up during the pandemic, so I rightfully got unemployment. But here's the not-so-pretty fact about $600 a week unemployment. I had a conversation with my sister, okay, and it's 4th of July. I, My sister and I get along. We were the closest to siblings whenever she was a little girl. We had a falling out, you know, when she was an early teenager, and I was in my mid-20s. I was getting ready to leave this town that I was at at that point and the main reason why was because it's a long complicated story but my mom got remarried and she basically left my little sister with me to live in this empty house it was just me and my sister and my aunt eventually moved in so it was just the three of us and at 13 14 years old my sister started drinking she started doing drugs she started bringing her friends over there was incidences where you know not a lot of good things happened so I stopped talking to my sister and we didn't talk for a very long time, and she's been in and out of trouble. You know, drugs are still, uh, unfortunately, a big part of her life. Um, but she was here in July. That way I can hang out with my nephew and my niece and hang out with my mom, light fireworks and whatnot. So, and, you know, socially distanced, of course. We did all of that. And, you know, we're talking about unemployment and how she's getting money and stuff like that because the end of the day I still care about her and she was telling me and she was telling my family that she has friends friends of hers that actually get $600 a week unemployment that I fucking know never worked a day in their life because they're latchkey kids and they're slackers all the way into their mid to late 20s now and she said that oh yeah they put that they were babysitters or they were caregivers for their grandma unpaid caregivers for their grandma and they've never fucking taken care of themselves any day of their life, much less their grandma or any anyone's kids. God help me, they would never take care of my kids. But they put that and the state of, you know, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, all these places, approved them. And they got $600 a week for 13 weeks plus the state stuff. So $10,000 of free money. Ethical? Hell no, it's not ethical. It's wrong, you know. People worked hard for that money. When I got my unemployment Bank of America... That was 13 years of effort put in, and I deserve those 26 weeks of money from unemployment because I gave my all to that company. But these people are just saying, yeah, we babysat $10,000. Oh, yeah, we cleaned. Um, do we have any receipts? Oh, yeah, we have, we have a paper receipt here for $20, $600 a week. People took advantage of this stuff. But here's the thing. When you work at a bank, you have a code of ethics. At least you take code of ethics training. And once you pass that test, you certify that you understand what code of ethics are. Wells Fargo takes that training just like Bank of America. And guess what? They fucking failed miserably at Code of Ethics by doing shit like this. Like I said, the fact, the fact of the matter is, and getting back to my sister really quick, that way I can move on. 
the fact that those kids who are not smart people that are my sister's friends they're not smart people the fact that they were able to scam the system like that tells me that someone with a brain Someone with an IQ of 100, 120, or yours truly 159, or at least that's what it said. IQ tests are bullshit anyway. Um, someone can figure out the scam there. They can make tons of money. Why do you think we've talked about people who have tried to scam $4 million from PPP and stuff like that? Because people are smart. People know exactly what to do. People know what to do in order to make it right for them, in order to... To get as much money as possible with as little work. So when someone's smart, they're going to say, hey, how can I make this work for me? That's the way that it works. When you find out a scam to get free eggs at the grocery store, you're going to figure out a way to do it for yourself. Unless you're weird and you share it to some Facebook group where a million people are going to try it and then that scam is gone. No, you're going to try it for yourself because you're a selfish person, just like most people are in this world. And that's what the Wells Fargo people had here. They had the selfishness to basically do this shit for themselves and not help their customers, not return calls, not return emails. And it says, financial institutions play no role in approving or dispersing the loans, but monitor them when deposited into customers' accounts by the SBA. They do and they don't, okay, whatever. Nine of them reported almost 200 million in suspicious transactions. Well, Bank of America and Wells Fargo report suspicious transactions all the time. That's not a big fucking deal. That's, in fact, kind of normal for them. But, you know, with PPP, it's one thing. Because PPP had, you know, loans upwards of millions and millions of dollars. EIDL was a smaller program. EIDL was disaster assistance. And, and I'm going to the SBA's website here. And it says the SBA provides low-interest disaster loans to help businesses and homeowners recover from declared disasters. And the COVID-19 EIDL says, if you're a small business, nonprofit of any size, or U.S. agricultural business with 500 or fewer employees that has suffered substantial economic injury as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, you could apply for EIDL. This loan applies to all businesses based in any state, territory, or D.C. It's for working capital, which means you could use that money to spend on whatever. Working capital means business expenses. And normal operating expenses, such as continuation of healthcare benefits, rent, utilities, and fixed debt payments. So it's a loan that was made to keep you going. It's it's a handout. Now, you know, I don't want to get into the details of everything that has to be done with EIDL, you know, in general. Because a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't understand what these things mean. And I barely did whenever I started helping people. Because the problem with EIDL was... It was really hard to get a straight answer from a bank. You had to be smart enough business-wise to understand what you were getting into. Now, the people who got in trouble at Wells Fargo, I'm almost certain, are business bankers. It's not just some random teller applying for EIDL, for God's sakes. No, it's someone who knows what it means, okay? It's someone who knows what it means. And understanding EIDL, understanding how everything works... Business bankers know that because business bankers have loans to deal with as part of their goals, for God's sakes. And once again, let me just say, Wells Fargo says they don't have goals? Bullshit. Wells Fargo has goals all the time, even if they don't say they have goals. And then there's another article, Washington Post, Washington Post with Hannah Levitt from Bloomberg on the byline. It says, Wells Fargo fired more than 100 employees suspected of improperly connect, collecting coronavirus relief funds. According to a person with knowledge of the situation, firm determined that the staffers defrauded the Small Business Administration 
by, quote, making false representations and applying for coronavirus relief funds for themselves. The review focused on employees who tapped the EIDL program, a key part of the government's effort to prop up businesses during the pandemic. And it says, while it's possible for employees at large companies to legitimately tap USAID for businesses they operate on the side, Wells Fargo's findings add to the evidence that the program was widely abused. I agree 100%. But little sign such activity was limited to bankers. Unlike other employers, banks can check whether staff had aid deposit into their accounts. And I want to get into that in a second. An earlier review by J.P. Morgan Chase found that 500 employees tapped the EIDL program and dozens did so improperly. Doesn't mention if they fired them or not. The SBA urged banks to look out for suspicious deposits and has focused on advances of as much as $10,000 that don't have to be repaid. So the, the working number is $10,000 here, okay? So, you know, you can apply for other loans and get a lot of loans, but there's a $10,000 upfront that you can get that you didn't have to pay back. And I think people understood that it was easy to get that 10000 and they were probably going to sit on it. And I'm sure that it's been abused like a son of a bitch. If the SBA data said $1.3 billion in suspicious-looking payments has been done, do the math. What's $1.3 billion divided by 10000 It's a lot of fucking people, okay? And it says the SBA urgently expanded the EIDL program earlier this year as shutdowns to fight the virus left small businesses desperate for cash lifelines. So um, Galleries in this article says, we'll continue to look into these matters. If we identify additional wrongdoing by employees, we will take appropriate action. What, you're going to reward them? You're going to promote them for overselling and for overinflating your numbers? Give me a fucking break, okay? And my thing with this, okay, and the bank had a memo on Wednesday, last Wednesday, saying zero tolerance for fraudulent behavior. It says 100 to 125 people were terminated person of knowledge of the matter said asking not, not to be identified i can only imagine why they wouldn't want to be identified and then it talks about ppp in here but let me get to the whole identifying um fraud and stuff like that and i'm going to get into something with the second segment about how i almost lost my job at bank of america 10 years ago for literally hitting a fucking button and it's ridiculous it's a stupid story but this is what i learned about bank of america back then they know everything. Wells Fargo knows everything. Chase knows everything. You know, you think that your Echo Dot, which is spelled A-L-E-X-A, I don't want to say it out loud because it'll trigger in my room, um, knows everything about you because it's listening to your conversations. Or the G-O-O-G-L-E Nest that I have in my room, which will trigger if I say the full word, which will listen to your conversations as well. Or at least that's what people think. Wells Fargo and Bank of America and all these banks, they may not be listening to your conversations, you know, with microphones in the walls. That's stupid. That's crazy shit. Your computer tells your whole story. My God. My God. There's nothing that they don't know about their computers. So if you're on a work computer, and first of all, if you're doing something for yourself, you should be automatically fired. That has happened before. I've gotten in trouble the very first month I worked at Bank of America. You can't look up your own name. So here's the thing. What happens whenever you can't look up your own name? You tell your buddy. You tell your coworker, hey, I need to get one of these loans too for, you know, the notorious banker nonprofit organization LLC. And then he applies for it. And then I get $10,000. Say, hey, I'll give you $1,000 if you do this for me, okay? Yeah, my sister's going to come in too. And she has a nonprofit too. Yeah, yeah. 
And then it's just this vicious cycle of people understanding two things. One, how easy it is to defraud people. Because I mentioned in my previous statement about five minutes ago, ten minutes ago, my sister's friends are idiots. They're drug abusers. They're addicts. And they figured out how to scam the unemployment system. You have issues like this. You have someone with the knowledge of knowing how to fuck with the system and the access to fuck with it like Wells Fargo bankers do because they have the ability to submit applications, they have the ability to punch those things in, they have the ability to get those things through for their coworkers. At least I believe it's mostly for their coworkers and not themselves because something would trigger at that point. To not be smart enough to understand that Wells Fargo is going to flag that you know, if I worked at Bank of America and all of a sudden I get a direct deposit from fucking Applebee's and they tell me, yeah, oh yeah, bartend, you know, twice a week over there. No, I don't make a lot of money. I just want to get free drinks at the end of the night. I'll probably get fired because I didn't notify my employer, my main employer, Bank of America, that I was taking another job at Applebee's. That's the way that it works. I have a, co- a co-worker of mine, Michelle, back in my very first branch, she just liked to work, and she worked as a waitress at a steakhouse one night a week just to get out of the house. She made a couple of hundred dollars in tips, and she was buying a car with that. Bank of America nearly fired her, saying that that was a conflict of interest. Yeah, because fucking stakes and checking accounts just go right hand in hand, for God's sakes. Give me a break. But at the same time, how did they find out? Because her direct deposit went into her account. So Wells Fargo, Bank of America, all these places are going to find out easily. If you're committing fraud, employees of these big banks, you will be found out very, very simply, very easily. Trust me. These banks are smart. These banks are intelligent. At least I believe they're intelligent with their own people. They can't help the customers with the fuck. That's why I've earned $1.2 million in vigilante customer service recovery myself. I get so pumped up about this stuff. But that's the thing. That's how stupid these Wells Fargo people are. Because abusing the program is one thing. That's a government thing. That's a y'all going to jail thing. But you can't fuck with the bank, okay? And, and the simple fact of the matter is they know everything about what's going on. And I, I would neglect to mention uh, my old co-worker. I won't mention his name. But if he's listening, you know, you know I love you, man. And you know I'm talking about you. But he almost got fired from Bank of America... Because he searched for a famous rapper on on our system. A famous rapper, he searched for his real name on the system. Apparently something got brought up. But apparently it rang some fucking bell in some security office somewhere at Bank of America. And he got a very stern talking to and a final warning. This gentleman got fired from Bank of America because he was the only teller in the building. And his mom came to make a deposit. There was no other teller to make that deposit. There was no way to get around making that deposit. So he asked the boss, can I make this deposit for my mom? They said yes. He ran the deposit. Corporate security still flagged it. And then he got fired for that, for God's sakes. That's how stupid it is. So to think Wells Fargo is just going to just let $10,000 into one of their employees' accounts slip by? Hell no. That's why they hire hundreds, if not thousands of people to, to protect, to play defense on their reputation, what little they have left, by making sure shit like that doesn't happen under their watch. So these 100 to 125 people that took advantage of this program, God knows how many times they got aid for themselves or family members. Jesus, I hope they got fired with with vengeance, okay? I want them to be escorted out the building, their shit thrown on the street. 
Because one, you shouldn't be that stupid and working for the bank. And two, the simple fact, and like I said, this gets me so mad. I think of Bunny and Pirates in Florida. I think of all the people that I helped. Um, you know, the yoga studio in Maine. Oh my God, all these places that I helped this summer who were like, Wells Fargo's not answering my calls. Wells Fargo's not... They told me in 10 days they'd have an answer. It's been 11. And now I call and no one answers. And I email and no one answers. And I call somewhere else and they said that person's on vacation. All these lies. All these lies when people were trying to get these loans with their banks. All these, you know, people getting ignored. Knowing that these people were at work. They were at work. No, but they weren't helping that customer. They're busy helping themselves. That's what gets me mad about this. Okay? People will always find a way to game the system for God's sakes. You know, I don't like talking about this, but I have grocery coupons. And I've become a very extreme couponer to the point where I'm bordering on unethical. I make sure to usually make a purchase with these coupons that I have. But at the same time, I think I'm taking slight advantage of the grocery store's kind of coupon situation. And you know what? That's quite alright with me. I don't want to be one of those dick faces, excuse my language there, I'm using my cousin's uh, term of endearment there, that goes to the grocery store like on those couponing shows and gets like $6,000 worth of food for two cents. Or worse yet, they get money back from the register. No, I, I spend a handful of dollars there, <laughs> and I'm eating fine. I don't eat a lot anyway, but I, I, I do use coupons, and I do use them to excess, and I do use them more than they're probably intended to be used, but, you know, that's, that's just part of life. People find ways to game the system anytime, you know, enter your phone number at the gas pump to save five cents. Fuck it, I'll save five cents. I have a Ford Explorer. I have a 20-gallon tank. That's a dollar. That's one dollar more in my pocket. People will find a way to game the system. But Wells Fargo's problem is they can't seem to get out of their own way. Okay, they see a system. They see billions of dollars going through. And these fucking bankers know it. I know they know it because I would probably see it too. And like, man, no one's looking at these things. They're just getting rubber stamped and this money's just flowing. Yeah, so-and-so got a $1.5 million PPP the other day. He doesn't need the money. You know he's going to pocket that. You know he's going to spend it on bullshit. Like, I know that they're thinking that. So they go, yeah, let's just do it. It's 10 grand. They'll never know. Oh, they'll know. Wells Fargo knows. So I'm going to give kudos to the corporate security of Wells Fargo for one thing, okay? Kudos to you for firing and then taking fucking ownership of this. With all the news stories that I saw about this situation where Wells Fargo employees taking and abusing United States aid here. Saying, you know what, we took care of these employees, these were wrongful actions, we terminated the employment. It wasn't some setup like Bank of America did to me, where they said, hey, you know this person that you opened an account for? Yeah, you forgot to put a dash in their driver's license number, so uh, we flagged this account, and it turns out that we do believe it's an unauthorized account, so you're fired. I mean, that was my life story at Bank of America in a nutshell right there. Get no respect. No, this was... Hey, Joe Smith is applying for a loan. Joe Smith's employee account got $10,000. Joe Smith works at Wells Fargo, and the application says Joe Smith has an ice cream shop around the corner. Um, Joe Smith fucking stole money from you, United States government. And Wells Fargo, Joe Smith used you as a tool to scam the government out of money. So kudos to Wells Fargo's corporate security for that. I don't normally say high-five 
to Wells Fargo and good job for weeding these people out. But here's the fucking problem. There's more of them like that there. Trust me. Your internal audits are going to find more people who screwed people over during the pandemic. And if you have any balls, if you have any guts, you're going to say to them, you know what, we're going we're gonna to make an example for me. We're going to fire you because you did wrong. You were unethical. You took code of ethics training. You acknowledged that I am not going to do these unethical things, and you did them. So kudos to Wells Fargo Corporate Security for that, but I am not going to let Wells Fargo off the look. In a month that saw insane amounts of hate towards Wells Fargo with Charlie Sharp's comments about the black talent pull at Wells Fargo and just all the things that happened in the last four years, I gotta tell you one thing, my friends. It's gonna continue to go on. Uh, uh, Tiger never change, changes its stripes. Ironically, that it all comes back to Tigers after I talked about Mike Tyson 28 minutes ago. But a Tiger never changes its stripes. And you know what? Wells Fargo will continue to do this until fundamental change happens. Whether it takes Sharf to step away in a year or two from now, or maybe even less, if it takes another scandal, if it takes an investigation by Congress, especially if the D's run the show in both the House and the Senate and even in the White House, you're going to see a fundamental accountability, just hearing, hearings. You're going to see people testifying in Congress. You're going to see people get yelled at by the Katie Porters of the world. You know, like you're going to see all this stuff and you're going to see more stuff exposed. And you know what? Quite frankly, I will be right there with them. I have a lot of shit with Bank of America. And of course, over the course of this two years worth of podcasts, I have uncovered a lot of stuff through the help of former employees at Wells Fargo, too. The notorious banker hates to see it, but he is um, full of information, and I'm ready to share it. So if the if the correct people, and I'm only saying this not politically, I'm just saying towards the agenda type of stuff here. If the correct people get elected to Washington, you're going to see banks on trial hung up in effigy, and you're going to see a lot of shit going down, my friends. And to those 100 to 125 people improperly collecting coronavirus relief funds, um, you should have uh, hooked up with my sister's friends, and they would have told you um, how to say that you were babysitting in your spare time. And it would have been under the table, <laughs> and, Bank, and Bank of America Wells Fargo uh, wouldn't have caught on to your fact um, that you were taking unemployment as well. Yeah, they would have said, hey, what's up with this direct deposit? And you say, oh, yeah, no... It's my wife's, or you got to lie it or something. Well, you probably wouldn't have been able to have done that either. But anyway, guys, when you see a bank taking advantage of a system, knowingly taking advantage of the system, whenever there are so many people that were just waiting on a phone call, waiting on an email, just waiting on help for their struggling business, their failing business, out of money, out of work, out of effort, out of time, that's a lot of reasons why your bank sucks and why I'm here to fight back against them, my friends. All right, so after this brief promotional consideration, I'm going to just tell you a funny story to lighten the mood. It kind of has something to do with this, hey, the banks know everything thing here. It's the 10-year anniversary of the F-11 incident, so please stick around. All right, we're back with more Notorious Banker. So I wanted to tell this story, even though I told it about a year and a half ago on the podcast. Um, it's the 10-year anniversary this week of the F-11 incident, and I just think it's hilarious. And someone mentioned to me on Twitter, Hey, um, have you ever had a stupid conversation with your boss where you got written up and or fired? And yeah, here it is. It's the F-11 incident. It's so dumb. It makes no sense. But it told me how overbearing Bank of America was. 
with watching their employees with their with their just lives, you know, and with their computers and how everything is in the banking center is so regulated and so North Korea y. <laughs> I have no other way to say it than North Korea y. That's what it's come down to, and it's just it's just so stupid. And the more I look back on it, the more I should have seen the signs. But I'm going to tell you, I was a teller then, and I was a supervising teller. I was afraid to find another job, and frankly, I'm afraid to find another job now. That's why I became a podcaster. That's why I became an advocate, because I love this stuff. I, I live for this stuff, and I understand how it works. But back then, I was scared. I was scared of trying something new. I had a, I had a girlfriend for two years, and it was something that I appreciated, you know, my sweetness, Gabrielle, is a great girl. She's a great woman. And, you know, being around her for that long, I knew that this was a long-term relationship that I wanted. And I just figured, hey, you know, I could maybe marry this girl. And I could work at Bank of America for 40 years. We have kids. I become the market executive or area executive Bank of America. Pull 200000 a year. Have a nice fat pension and a 401k. Live in a six-bedroom, five-bathroom house. Yeah, that's not going to fucking happen, okay? So a lot of that stuff is not going to happen. Um, the kids, hopefully, you know, the house may be down the road if this podcast takes off. But all I can tell you is I, I, I like consistency, but I should have known it was time to leave at the F-11 incident. And there's always things that I could tell you about with uh, Bank of America at that time that just led me to be suspicious. You know, I, I have told you before, my boss at the time was someone that I did not like. She didn't like me, it didn't seem like, although she did give me my first chance to be a banker and then a manager. And as time went on, and as I got to the point where you know, Bank of America closed my branch and ended up firing me, I started to appreciate her more, because I saw the stress she was under, and I know that people handle it different ways, and I know people manifest that frustration in different ways, so I was not the reason and the root for all of her anger. It was Bank of America as a whole. And she just kind of manifested it towards us. A lot of people didn't like her. I didn't like her at that point in time. But now, years later, I've come to appreciate um, the managerial technique she gave on me because it allowed me to understand a more cynical point of view of Bank of America um, over the, the last seven years that I haven't worked for her. So here's the deal. I was a drive-up teller. I was a supervisor, but I was really only a supervisor because... The, the managers were too lazy and they didn't want to go all the way across the bank to the drive-up to approve a check being cashed or withdrawal happening at drive-up and all that. So I said, I bestow upon you, supervisor, James B. And all of a sudden, James was a supervising drive-up teller whenever I had a second associate in the drive-up. So I, I took that with importance. I was a full-time employee at that point in time. I went from $9 an hour. I can't believe that. Well, you know, Wells Fargo and Bank of America are at $20 an hour for their entry-level employees. Now, I was at 9 and I went up to 12 and I was, like, proud. I was like, I probably make more than my mom. I probably make more than my dad. And, you know, it was cool. It was cool to have all that responsibility. But here's the thing. In 2010, you gotta you got to appreciate this. And maybe if someone is in their early 20s right now, they don't appreciate it. But if you're 35 plus like me, it's not that big a deal. Although I was um, bored, okay, during this time. Um, this was pre-smartphone, okay? Yeah, the iPhone came out in 07 or whatever. So it was out, but I didn't have that shit. I wasn't smartphone hooked up until 2011 or something like that. 
So I had the flip phone. I had really crappy internet on there. You know, we would text my my soon-to-be wife at that point in time, but she had school. So there was a lot of downtime. So we talked about lives. We talked about our relationships. We talked about news in the world amongst each other. So we just always had this camaraderie that just unlike any other, and it was really cool. Uh, The reason why we were so friendly to each other is because we didn't have the internet. Anyone who was not a banker or a manager inside a branch at Bank of America did not have email, did not have internet access. So we couldn't just go to ESPN.com and look at the top stories and kill a couple of minutes of time or go to CNN and see what's happening in the world. No, we were stuck. I learned my bank policy knowledge through just looking at the internal intranet sites, Bank Encyclopedia, the, the policy and procedure online, also known as Pro at Bank of America. I read that son of a bitch up and down. When there was addendums, I read the addendums. I was always hip to the rules because, one, I needed to for auditing purposes, and, two, I was bored and I needed something to pass the time, especially when I was alone. So the thing with Bank of America's system at the time for tellers, and I don't know if it's the same or different or not, I didn't ask uh, now, it's called Merlin Teller. It's a software that a lot of banks use, not just Bank of America, to run teller transactions. It's a ledger. It allows, you know, deposits to go through withdrawals. And it's hooked up to their network. It's hooked up to their customers. So everything goes through there. Well, at that time, Merlin Teller software, it kind of took over the whole screen. The same way, like, DOS takes over a computer screen. You know, you don't have all the cool windows and all that stuff. You know, like, those old school computers had DOS. And it's just this, you know, this blue screen that's just there. And it had a few things on there. It had, like, your your store number... And then it had the date, and then it had your NBK, which is your bank ID, and then it had the time. So one of the things that tellers were judged on um, at that time was speed. Now it's not so much speed, it's about getting sales. It's about keeping the customer long enough to uncover a need. Well, back then, it was get those fucking people out as fast as possible because there might be someone who needs an account or a credit card or whatever. So speed was always a thing. We would time each other on speed. We would be rated on how fast our transactions are. We would have conversations about, James, you took 35 seconds per transaction on straight deposits and 45 seconds on cash checks. It was always this weird conversation about time. And I always said, if you like fantasy football, you would love working at a bank back in the day because they had stats for everything. They had stats for balancing percentage. They had for net losses errors and the reason for errors and your error rate i mean it was like baseball they had stats for everything it was just it was it was cool even though i was judged harshly a lot on them so you know we were in 2010 you know the recovery still happening the recession of 08 happening 09 it was rough in 2010 if i'm not mistaken um they said with the bank of america earnings this past week that i believe b of a posted a two billion dollar loss in 2010 and I kind of vaguely remember that because that was the last year we got any sort of rewarding success bonus which was their yearly bonus program that they offered this was the first year of Moynihan so um, of course shit hit the fan then and things um, changed to the way they are now with him so you know we had all this stuff going on but it was all about speed and you couldn't have your phone inside the, the drive-up area. There's no cameras there. I didn't want to get in trouble or written up or fired for having my cell phone, so I put it in my cubby. 
when you were staring at a wall, and I stared at one part wall, one part intersection, for the better part of five years, okay? There's no clock on the wall. And, and if we couldn't have the stereo on, which sometimes we could, sometimes we couldn't, um, we didn't know the time. You know, they said, hey, it's 12.35 and it's 52 degrees outside. We didn't hear that. So I would be stuck on Merlin Teller, and I would be helping these customers through the Teller window, run a deposit, I'd hit the buttons, give them a receipt. Is there anything else I could help you with today, Mr. Smith? Well, thank you for banking with Bank of America. You have a good afternoon. Send it through the tube or through the little tray. And then I hit F11 to hit customer. F11 refreshes it to the main screen, and then it updates a couple of things. It closes out your transaction. So if that was transaction 152, it closes out 152, and it sets you up for 153. But then it also updates the time on there. So there was times during the middle of the week where it's understandably not busy. I mean, it was not busy at times back then either. So I don't want to lie and say, you know, hey, there was a million customers inside the lobby 10 years ago. No, there was times where it was dead. And that goes for any Bank of America. So we would be bored, and we didn't want to exit out of teller screen because we were told that if we exit out of teller screen, that Bank of America corporate security uh, would know that we were exited out of the teller screen and they would know that we're fucking around. And I never got a write-up or a warning for looking at the rule book, so I knew it was kind of a lie. But there was times where I didn't want to read the rule book or there was no one to work with, and I'm just staring at the wall. I'm staring at cars, man. I can tell you the same cars that drove by the same stoplights at 1 o'clock every day for the longest time. It was boring as hell. Oh my god, it was so boring. I made rubber band balls. I made paperclip chains. I did anything to pass the time. And when I would do that, I would need to check the time. I didn't like wearing watches, so I would hit F11. It would flip the time over. And it would say 1101, and it would say 1105. It's like, oh, man, that was only four minutes? Oh, my God. And then I would just hit it again, hit it again, hit it again. And then it started to get, you know, started to see the kids in the car. So it would be after school, so we know it's like 3 o'clock. I'm like, yeah, F11, 310. Help a couple customers, F11, 315. And I'm like, it's almost 4. It's almost 4. It's almost time to go home. Yes. Well, you know, I did that a lot. I did that for weeks on end. And the fact of the matter is, my Bank of America location at that time, probably because me not being a banker, and a lot of Bank of Americas were um, undergoing some upheaval because they were not hitting their sales goals. We had this new market leader. His name was Clay, I believe. He was a jewelry guy. He was into diamonds and stuff like that. And the bank somehow hired him to run, you know, 26 branches in our region, whatever. It doesn't make any sense. And, he, and I remember hearing him on a call with my boss saying, we got to step up sales. This is ridiculous. You guys are worthless. You guys are miserable. Your sell-through percentage is awful. Your referral rates are horrible. You're literally bringing this whole region down because of you, 26 bank, blah, blah, blah. And I was there because I would always close up with my boss. We'd be the last two in the bank at all times. And she'd be like, oh, man, this guy's going crazy. I was like, I know. It's weird. It's going on. Yeah, so uh, there was a point in time where my assistant manager left, and it was just my manager. And I they hired a new assistant manager to, to kind of supplement her. And then this one day, I'll never forget it. I'm working in the drive-thru, and I was supposed to be by myself all day. And then all of a sudden, a teller comes and says, yeah, I'm running a drawer. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I was like, well, that must mean them getting fired or something's happening. So 
Five minutes later, um, James, can we speak to you in our office, please? Yeah, hold on, I just need to balance. Oh, you can balance after we're done talking, but we really need to talk to you, and it's important. And I'm like, ooh, okay, so, so what's the deal here? So, I'm nervous. I'm like, what did I do? Did I say something on Facebook? Did I say something on Twitter? I barely was on Twitter at that point. I had a friend in the porn industry uh, in 2010 that I talked to regularly, and she was in these adult videos, adult magazines, and stuff like that. And, I mean, she was a legit friend. I mean, we talked every day. She talked to my wife. She met my wife. It was just a legit friend, but she was in that industry. And I'm like, oh, man, they found out about that, and they're going to fire me for talking to porn stars in an official capacity at Bank of America. I didn't know what to think. The the, the porn star, um, her lackey, actually went into the bank once to give me tickets to the Warp Tour because that's how close we were. I mean, that's how cool it was. So I thought it was that. And I go in the office and say, James, close the door. I'm like, oh, fuck, what did I do? And then they have this conversation with me, and it's so bizarre, and I'm just, like, so nervous. I'm, like, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it's like, James, um, we got a question to ask you. So last week, and I don't remember the exact number, but they said last week you ran 1,250 transactions. Which, I mean, it sounded right. I mean, it sounded like a number that I would normally see in a week. So I was like, yeah, okay. Well, we got a problem here. So, the bank only had, I forget how many customers it was. It was like 2,000 customers. So the bank only had 2,000 customers that went into the bank the whole month. You accounted for 1,250 transactions. Everyone else accounted for less than X amount of transactions. So there was saying that there's no way that you could have handled 60 some odd percent of the customers. And especially since out of those 1,200 transactions, you had 16 referrals. So your referral rate was, uh, your referral rate was inexcusable. But here's the thing. Your average on straight deposits was the lowest in the market, but... The overall transaction average was literally so fast. It was so fast that it was actually a negative second percentage. So here's the thing. It says that you, you've been, you know, helping all these customers. So we did a look at your EJ, which is electronic journal. And we counted that you hit F11 end customer. That was the name of it on their system. X amount of times, I forget how many times it was. You didn't help that many, so why did you hit F11? I'm looking at it, I'm like, what? And I just like laughed uncomfortably. I'm like, I don't understand it. So, why did you hit F11? And I'm just like, wondering what to say because the, the real answer was stupid. The real answer made no sense, but it was the truth. And I said, you, you know why? Because when I hit F11, it changes the time on the screen. And I was like, I can show you if I load up my screen. You hit F11, the time changes. And that's how I checked the time because we can see the clock. On, it was Windows um, Windows Millennium Edition at that point or Windows XP. It was one of those crappier operating systems that's been around a long time. And um, I couldn't see the clock that's normally on Windows because of Merlin Teller. So that's how I knew what time it was just off of hitting F11. So here's what happened. And I'll get back to what they were saying in a second here. 
I hit F11 so many times, hundreds of times throughout the course of a week or two, that I actually created more transactions for the bank that they should have sold more accounts through. Does that make any sense? So let's say that they only had a thousand transactions and they were supposed to sell through on 5% of those transactions. Well, that means that they should have sold 50 accounts at that point, 5% sell through rate on those transactions. Well, because of my thousand whatever, it made it 2000. And then we only had 10, 15 accounts that week or whatever. So it was some crazy low percentage. It was like ridiculously low. And like that whole, I don't know why she swallowed the fly song. The area manager bitched out the regional manager. The regional manager bitched out the market manager. The market manager bitched out the branch manager. The branch manager bitched out the assistant manager, which was the manager of the bosses. And the assistant manager bitched me out. I guess I'll die. <laughs> so this chain reaction of this bank is doing shit. You guys suck. You guys aren't hitting your goal. You should have more sales. Your tellers should have more referrals. Basically, me hitting F11 impacted everyone's averages because it meant that we should have had more referrals. We should have had more sales. And we didn't. But it was all because this weird glitch meant that hitting F11 was tied to the clock, which meant that every time I hit F11, it created this whole independent transaction that took negative seconds to do. So when we looked at our scorecard, our teller scorecard and our bank scorecard, it would show that these transactions were happening in record time. So basically they were saying, well, if you have 2,000 transactions and the average customer is only taking 20 seconds, why the fuck are you getting them out so long? Why can't you take 30 seconds and offer them a credit card? Why can't you take another 10 seconds and offer them a second savings account? That's what they were getting at. But what was happening was me hitting F11 to check the time brought down everyone's averages so everyone got in trouble. So they looked at everyone's work to see who was the outlier and they saw that no one was the outlier. We were actually doing really good. It's just that I kept on hitting this stupid button just to change the time and I was indirectly impacting the bank's sell-through percentage which actually impacted their bonuses funny enough. Plus it got them chewed out by their manager and that person got chewed out and so on 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 just off of me being bored not having my phone not knowing the time hitting f11 fucking crazy crazy that that's this happened and me i have an uncomfortable chuckle i chuckle when anything stupid like this happens i was like <laughs> man i'm sorry i didn't know that it can cause all this well now you know but james this is a verbal warning and just to let you know that you were kind of gaming the system there, and that could be grounds for up to and including termination if the right people decided to make that decision. So you got to be really careful about what you hit. Because And then she said it this way. She's like, they watch everything. They watch everything we do. So any move that you make, they're notating that. So make it a point that if you want to know the time, you lock your screen, you take 10 steps out, you take that step up to the main room, and you look at the clock that's inside the meeting room and you'll know what time it is. Do not hit F11 like that again. And I took that verbal write-up as like, a, wow, I could have lost my job over something that fucking stupid. And from that moment on, I actually became more efficient with my transactions. I didn't hit F11 anymore. And I ran deposits efficiently, quickly, offered accounts, I did everything properly. Uh, the last year and a half I was there, I balanced to the penny 100% at all times, which I didn't do before. 
had good referral rates, and I was more efficient and improved our customer satisfaction scores. Things were good. And that's what led to me getting a promotion as a banker and then eventually as a relationship manager. But to think that I almost got fired for hitting a button that most people won't even know to hit on a keyboard. And it was mainly just because I wanted to see what time it is. If I had a watch, I wouldn't have had that conversation. If we would have allowed our phones to be in that room, we wouldn't have that conversation. And I know what you may be asking. Well, you have those cool office phones, right? Those office phones that might say the date and the time on there. Those like Cisco phones. And anyone who's worked at Bank of America knows those phones because they still have them to this day in all Bank of America branches. Well, we had that phone, but it didn't work. And we put in a request, and it didn't work. And we put in another request again to fix it, and it didn't work. So they basically said, well, if the screen doesn't work, times work. But if the phone rings, you can answer it. You can't transfer it to anyone. You can't send it to a voicemail or anything like that. I'm like, well, what the hell good is that? But I had to answer it in order to take change orders for restaurants and all that stuff as a teller. But we had that phone there, but it didn't have the time. If Bank of America would have had a phone with a clock, if I would have had a watch, if I would have had my cell phone with me, I would never have this fucking story about how stupid it was to almost get fired for hitting a stupid keystroke on a keyboard. Apparently, I brought down Bank of America's sales average doing all this shit, and I guess I'm sorry. I guess I cost people some bonus money by messing up their averages, but all I can say is, ten, you know, eight years later... After nearly getting fired for probably the stupidest thing in history, guess who got fired for $4.95 at Bank of America? Yep, yours truly. I got fired for a fee that Bank of America charged a customer because I forgot to hit a dash on someone's driver's license number. Now, my friends, if I can't say that that's the reason why I think that bank sucks, then I don't know what to tell you. What a weird journey that I had with Bank of America and all I could say is I'm glad that I'm able to share this 10 years to the week of this happening the F-11 incident it, it basically told me that hey Bank of America Wells Fargo these big banks are big brother and watch your ass and the one thing my former co-worker my former friend um, Annette used to say and I'll say it one more time and I'm, this applies to employees this applies to cities. This implies applies to customers. When they want to get rid of you, they will find a way to get rid of you, and they will not care. Her exact words. She didn't say a lot of smart things, but those words still resonate to this day. They will find a way to fuck with you if they choose to fuck with you. Whether it's near the game fire for hitting a button, whether it's closing a branch despite overwhelming demand that that branch is needed, or whether it's closing out a customer's relationship because after 20 years, that person just isn't providing value anymore, they will find a way to break it off with you. And my friends, that's a reason why you and me and everyone else should say that's a reason why your bank sucks. And that's why I'm here to fight back as a notorious banker. But that's it for now, my friends. My name is James, the Notorious Banker. Thank you so very much for listening to my podcast. JamesTheNotoriousBanker.com is my email, 575-322-4127 on the voicemail line. If you want to leave a voicemail, talk about anything on the podcast, at Notorious Banker on TikTok. I have a new YouTube channel with a new video podcast available. 
and find that on my show notes. I will have a URL for that YouTube channel very, very shortly. Subscribe to my podcast. Leave a five-star review. Leave a good rating. Let me know how I'm doing. Um, Allow me the pleasure of getting your good responses. That way I can push for sponsorships. That way I can push more people to go to patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. Guys, if you believe in what I do, if you like my podcast, if you find it interesting, for as little as $1, you can help me fight back against big banks and allow me to continue to function and to operate as a notorious banker on Twitter and online. I told you a story at the beginning of this podcast of helping someone from the streets to success with Bank of America fraud customer service. And it's the most empowering, rewarding thing in the world to be able to help someone like that. Because I didn't know this person. I didn't really know Bank of America's California EDD program. And I didn't really know anything else aside from I know how to make a scene enough to get someone to answer her. And we did that in a matter of hours. And now she is being helped more in the last 12 hours than she has been helped in the last two months. And that's powerful shit, my friends. So patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. Please find me. Please subscribe. Please leave a couple of dollars. I also accept Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, any way you want to donate. Allow me to function to do this. I can tell you one thing. You know how you tell someone, hey, that guy's good at his job. I am great at my job. And I deserve to be compensated for this job. So I'm not saying, hey, you have to compensate me. I'm just saying, if you think I'm doing great, if you think I'm helping the community, the country, the greater good, while trying to make you laugh, while trying to make you think, throw a couple of bucks my way. It really does mean a lot. I'll have a a podcast in a few days, my friends, unless breaking news warrants it. New video podcast should be up by weekend's time. Um, If I do not show up on the podcast in a few days... I will let you know via Twitter, or I'll post a mini podcast explaining my absence. I have um, I have a niece in the hospital, and I'm thinking about her. And if there's a situation where I do have to make a drive to go see her, she's six hours away, I will definitely do so. I don't like talking about my personal life as much on here as much as I used to on social media. But i got to tell you one thing. I am a great uncle, and she is a great niece, and I love that little girl to death. And she's having a hard time right now. So if I have a, an ability, a capability to see her, um, I'm going to see her. And I will skip a podcast and I'll be back a few days after that. But guys, thank you for the support. Your your support carries me through the hard times, especially in times like that. Your, your listening, your viewing, your commenting, your conversations really light me up. And I couldn't be more thankful for stuff like that because I really enjoy doing this podcast. I really enjoy doing the Notorious Banker Project. If you listen to these podcasts intently, I'm really, really thankful for you because this is something I never thought I would do and I'm doing it. I'm having a blast doing it. I get to say F-bombs in a podcast about banking. I get to tell stupid stories like the one I just told you right there. This is my dream. I just need to make money with this dream, my friends. So patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. My friends, we will talk to you very soon. Once again, my name is James. James Baca, the Notorious Banker. Signing off, saying we'll talk to you again soon, my friends. Stay safe out there. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. It's James, also known as the Notorious Banker, and I'm imploring you to join me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. For as little as a $1 subscription, you can help join the Notorious Banker in his fight against big banks. 
Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chase, and City are constantly screwing over customers, and the notorious banker shows customers how to fight back against big banks and in some cases get money returned into their bank accounts. I'm great at what I do. With Vigilante customer service, we have recouped almost $1.1 million in 16 short months. That comes from 13 years of managerial experience at a big bank, financial acumen, policy knowledge, product knowledge, and much more. The Notorious Banker is asking for your help for as little as $1 a month in order to continue the fight to keep this job going full-time and to help more customers. $2 a month gets you additional content. $5 a month gets you an electronic version of my book. $15 will get you a paperback, but at least $1 a month will help contribute to the good fight. Help the Notorious Banker today by subscribing to his Patreon, patreon.com slash Notorious Banker, and I really, really hope to see you there. Thank you so much.